The reading this evening is taken from Luke chapter 24, verses 44 to 53, found on page 1062. He, that is Jesus, said to them, This is what I told you while I was still with you. Everything must be fulfilled that is written about me in the law of Moses, the prophets, and the Psalms. Then he opened their minds so they could understand the scriptures. He told them, This is what it is written. The Messiah will suffer and rise from the dead on the third day, and repentance of forgiveness for the forgiveness of sins will be preached in his name to all nations beginning at Jerusalem. You are witnesses of these things. I am going to send you what my father has promised, but stay in the city until you have been clothed with power from on high. When he had led them out to the vicinity of Bethany, he lifted up his hands and blessed them. While he was blessing them, he left them and was taken up into heaven. Then they worshipped him and returned to Jerusalem with great joy. And they stayed continually at the temple, praising God. Please keep the Bible open. Let's uh, turn to uh, page 1062, if you've accidentally shut it, to Luke chapter 24. Thank you, Dorothy, for reading it to us. And uh, let's uh, see what he has to say to us this evening. Because we've had Easter, now Jesus is about to return and go back to his father. So it's probably a good time to ask, well, why did Jesus come? Now that it's all over, let's find out. And a good passage to help us is this final section in Luke's Gospel where Jesus is going to send his disciples to all the nations and if they are to do that, you'll see that three things are needed. First, they need to get Jesus right. They need to get our response right. And then thirdly, They need to get his presence right. What's it mean to have the presence of Jesus in the world today? Three things we'll be looking at. So first, getting Jesus right as we think about going out into the world. Okay? So, remember that Jesus has shown himself alive. On that Easter Sunday in Luke chapter 24, we saw how morning and evening and then uh, morning afternoon and then in the evening he showed himself to three groups of people that he was alive so that uh, they all started baffled and sad and frightened but if you look at verse 41 by the end of the day they've seen enough to fill them with amazement and joy And to remove all doubt that this isn't uh, just a dream, it's not a kind of airy-fairy spiritual experience, he calls for some fish, which makes it a fairly ordinary reunion. 
regathering of his friends. So if he went up and asked them afterwards, so what was it like having the first person who has ever died and come back? What was it like? Uh, he just uh, had some fish with us, really. Uh, it's a very ordinary thing to do, isn't it? What a brilliant way, though, to show what the resurrection means. It's like death just hasn't happened. That's what the resurrection means. And you might think, okay, well, now they've seen him um, eat bread. They've got all the proof that they need to go out and tell everybody else that uh, he's alive. After all, they've gone and round and told each other that he's alive in Luke 24 so far. Now they've just got to go and do it to other people as well. But Jesus doesn't let them do that, does he? Uh, very surprisingly, he says uh, in verse 44 that it's not enough just to go out and tell people, yes, Jesus is alive. No. They've got to uh, understand what the law of Moses and the prophets and the Psalms tell us about Jesus before they can open up their mouths in the world. And I imagine that verse 45, Jesus explained to them what the law of Moses, the prophets and the Psalms say. I wouldn't have just taken verse 45 in two seconds flat, but taken the next six weeks that he was with them doing nothing but verse 45. And so it's worth us thinking, what does it mean to get Jesus right from the law of Moses and the prophets and the Psalms? What about the law of Moses? Well, we all know the law of Moses was written to help people live right in front of God. But giving people rules only shows how much we break the rules. If you give anyone a rule to obey God, you can then get your calculator out and start counting up the number of times they don't keep that rule. So, for example, if you ask Rachel, Rachel, when you come into this hall on a Sunday evening, don't run around screaming. You give her that rule, and then what do you do? You sit back and you count up how many times she does it before the next time you remind her. And then you can start counting again. Ah, you give anyone a rule to obey God and count up the times they don't. But when you look at verse 44 closely, you see that Jesus is talking about the law of Moses and us keeping those rules. The law of Moses, he says, was written about him keeping the rules. It's actually there to show us how obedient he was. The whole point of the law of Moses was not telling you how to behave, but to tell you how when he comes, he will live in front of God, keeping every single rule. And the reason Jesus came, to get back to our original question, was to keep God's rules on our behalf so everybody who repents and is forgiven can say, I have kept Every single law of Moses, Jesus did it for me. That's how we understand he fulfilled what is written about me in the law of Moses. He also fulfilled what was written about him in the prophets. Well, what did the prophets say? They told people 
what would happen if we did not obey God, that we would be cut off from God. But remember again, Jesus is talking about himself. He was cut off from God and died under God's judgment, suffering what the prophets said would happen to disobedient people like us. But he was telling us what must be fulfilled, what was written about him in the prophets, that the judgment would fall on the disobedient, which was him when he died on the cross. Because at that moment in time, he soaked up all God's anger so that every single person who turned to him in repentance for the forgiveness of sins would say, my sins have been paid for. My disobedience to God is now completely out of his mind. The Psalms are there in the Bible to show us how to respond to the God who saves his people, not just by providing for them, like the picture says, but by delivering them from their enemies. So Psalms tell us all sorts of ways in which God is great for his people. And Jesus says that those Psalms are also all about him. And the Psalms tell us how to be deeply grateful to the God who saves us. Because of him. So if you are to really love God in the Psalms, you're going to have to do that with him in your mind. Otherwise, you won't be praising God according to the Psalms in the way that they were written to do. Because they were written so that what was fulfilled about him might be understood and God might be praised. So Psalms are there to show us how to thank God with our minds full of Him. So we need to get Jesus right from the Law of Moses, the Prophets and the Psalms. But we also need to, uh, yes, that's right, to understand how to love God with Him in our heads. Now, we also need to get our response right. Because life can never go back to normal for these disciples again. Jesus doesn't call them and say, right, okay, folks, it's been really good knowing you. I've loved being with you these last three days. I'm now going to go off to my father. Now, remember that refresher course I told you about, how to fish. Go and do that in your local uh, technical college, and then after that you can get back to life as you had it before. Now, life is never going to go back to them uh, the same again, because once you've understood the law of Moses, the prophets, and the Psalms, then preaching repentance and forgiveness of sins to all the nations is what follows. And we've got to understand that if we, understand, if we have taken in verse 46, how the Messiah has suffered and risen from the dead on the third day, then it has got to be understood that it is also written just as much part of the script in verse 47 that repentance and forgiveness of sins must be preached to all the world. Now, that message in verse 47 
to take the message of repentance and forgiveness of sins to all the world helps us to get certain things right. If you look at verse 47, just for a minute, look at it closely and what do you see? It means that you can't get to God by being a good person. Okay? You can't, in other words, say, right, okay, I'm going to do enough good to cancel out the bad that I do so that the scales will weigh in my favor and God will have me. That cannot be the case if what God wants you to hear is how repentance and forgiveness of sins is the only thing that is needed. It's not another pep talk on how to be good. The world has to be told about repentance and forgiveness not another moral lesson in how to behave. The second thing that uh, we realize is that uh, uh, repentance and forgiveness sins uh, is really the only thing needed. The second thing we realize is that Jesus is the only one needed. You notice that repentance and forgiveness sins is to be preached in his name, not in anybody else's name. No one else can bring you God's forgiveness. He's the only one who's ever lived who can bring people the forgiveness of God. And he brings it to you because the third thing to understand is that he brings it to everyone and therefore that must include you. So in other words, you can't say this is really what's needed to that person over there. I know someone who's really, really bad in life. I'd better say that repentance and forgiveness of sins is for them. No, it's for you. But it can't be for me because I go to church. I'm one of God's people. Please notice, you're going to start in Jerusalem. Jerusalem is the place where God's people lived. They had got Jesus badly wrong. Even though they had a head start in understanding what it was like, they let their traditions and things get in the way. And so therefore Jesus has to say, no, go and tell them about the law and the prophets and the Psalms because they need to repent. They've got me wrong too. And you look at uh, the world and you see that this is the biggest need in the world. That's why Jesus says, you can go wherever you want in the world this is what they need to hear the most. Now let me tell you, there are certain parts in the world that what people would say they needed was relief from hunger. Go to other parts of the world and what people will say they need is relief from war. Come to our part of the world, I don't know, what do you think we need relief from? I guess relational mess is one of the things that we need relief from. Yeah, you go to different places and people will say, we have different needs, but actually, this is the biggest need. Not another job, not another house, not another... Whatever it is that is on your mind tonight. The biggest crisis that we have is that we have got God wrong. And we need His forgiveness. That is our biggest need. Now, my friends, you can understand how for a proud person, that is really quite a hard thing to take in. 
But can you understand for a humble person, it is the world's best news. Because you might just think, I've gone too far. There's no way I can get back to God. I've just uh, headed, off, headed off too far away from him. Now, Jesus would not have said, take this message to everyone, to all the world, if there was one single person in the world who is outside its scope. So this message is for everyone. Go to the worst sinner in the world today, wherever you find them, in whatever prison they might be languishing in, and tell them the message of repentance and forgiveness of sins. Not one person is out of reach with this great good news. Get the response right. This is what is the greatest need in the world today. And then get God's presence right. In verse 49, Jesus says, I'm going to send you what my father promised, but stay in the city until you've been clothed with power from on high. Now, before we start working out what this power from on high is, just notice in verse 49, if you're a Bible savvy person, how the Trinity is mentioned. Now, if you're not a Bible savvy person, ask me about the Trinity afterwards. But let me just explain briefly now that whenever God does anything, he acts in three persons. That tells us that God is much greater than we think. And it tells us here that he is going to do something very great. As the Father sending Jesus to send the Holy Spirit, who is God's amazing power from on high. That's what they're talking about. And that power from on high means that you don't shut up this book and say, right, okay, Jesus is dead and gone, and now we can get back to life again. The fact that Jesus is about to send his power from on high shows that he'd better batten down the hatches, because now is when everything's about to kick off. So as Winston Churchill said after the Battle of Britain, this is not the end. This is not the beginning of the end. It might perhaps be the end of the beginning. And so Luke has to write another book to keep track of everything that happens next. And the book starts by saying, well, in my first book I told you what Jesus began to do, but I'm afraid I've got to write another one because it didn't end there. And... Luke's second book, which is Acts of the Apostles, I wonder if you could just turn to uh, Acts of the Apostles. You've just got to skip the next book, uh, John's Gospel, and go straight uh, to page 1093. And on a specific day, that power from on high arrived. You can read about that specific day on page 1093. 
It's while the Jews, the disciples were still in Jerusalem, and it was while the Jews were having a feast called Pentecost. And at that time, uh, certain things happened. In fact, I'll just uh, go before that uh, picture comes up on the screen to tell you about the certain things that happened because there were certain <coughs> strange things that happened in that there was a sound of rushing wind fire seemed to be on top of the Christians who were there uh, and they spoke in all sorts of different languages and so therefore we might say my word yes sir is that what it means for power from on high to uh, arrive what you need to understand when you look at Acts chapter 2 is all those special effects happened just in the first four verses. Can you see? Um, when the day of Pentecost came, they walked together in one place and you get the sound of the blowing, the violent wind. Uh, they see what tongues of fire in verse 3. And they were filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues. All those things happened in the very first four verses. But have you noticed? That most of what happened that Luke wants to tell you about takes a lot longer, is therefore much more important, and is there in verses 14 to 35, which is when in our headings, in our Bibles, it's when Peter addresses the crowd. So in other words, don't get sidetracked by the signs. If you want to really understand what it means for the power of God to come from on high, then listen to the speech. And what do you find when you listen to the speech? Well, it is interesting, isn't it, how um, when uh, Peter explains it in verse 17 of Acts chapter 2, in these last days God says, I will pour out my spirit in all people. And interesting, in Luke 10, 24, Jesus says, I will pour, send the spirit. So why did you go and make the link between Jesus and God? Because that's exactly what Luke intends us to do. And speaking to all the nations means that they are given those different languages. So for example, in verse 11, it is so that so many different people from so many different parts of the world, picking it up in verse 11, Cretans and Arabs, etc., etc., in the verses before, we hear them declaring the wonder of God in our own tongues. So what's happening when the Spirit of God, uh, when the power of God comes from on high, is that now the nations uh, are hearing it in their own lingo. And power from on high means that all Christians will sound like prophets. So Peter says in those last days, I will pour out my spirit on all people. And, um, well, they're all going to sound like prophets. Because actually, when Peter starts talking, he just tells them what the prophets said. If you look at verse uh, 16, he's saying, look, let me explain this. Why didn't we listen to Joel, the prophet? He'll explain it to you. This is what was spoken by the prophet Joel. So I'll tell you about him, shall I? And then he tells us what David said in the Psalms in verse 25. At the bottom of the page, David said about him, I saw the Lord always before me because he is at my right hand. 
I will not be shaken. So David, when he wrote his Psalms, was talking about Jesus. And why is he wanting to tell them to help them to get Jesus right from the Psalms, from the prophets? It's to have that effect in verse 38. As you look, you can see, it is that people will be repent and baptized for the forgiveness of their sins. Repent for the forgiveness of sins. That's the end result. So what Jesus said would happen in Acts chapter, sorry, in Luke chapter 24, when the spirit, of, when the, 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 the power comes from on high, now it's actually beginning to happen. When Peter explains about Jesus to the crowd. Now my friends, if you want therefore to understand, how do you know that Jesus is alive in the world today? It is simply that little picture that will give you a bit of a prompt. It's when you have people explaining from the law of Moses and the prophets and the Psalms truth about the Lord Jesus, that is the evidence that there is power from on high in the world today. When you see that happening, wherever you see it happening, and it is happening right across the world, then you know that Jesus is alive because you can see his promise at work. Do you follow? That is the evidence that there is power from on high in the world today when you see that going on. Not when you see fireworks and special effects and signs. So what does that mean for us? Well, if you're, yes, if you're new today, well, it's a good day for us to see <coughs> that our greatest need in this room is to get Jesus right because we have got him so wrong and therefore our biggest need is to repent and be forgiven. My friends, if you're here for the first time, I don't know if you ever thought about it like that. But please, would you be humble and think about it like that? Because let me tell you, the number one reason in the world why people don't follow Jesus is not proof and the absence of, but pride and the presence of. So be humble and take it from him that this is your need and the biggest need and seek him and his forgiveness to live differently from now on. If you are an experienced churchgoer, well, you picked it up, didn't you, from the crowds in Jerusalem, how easy it is for us to get Jesus wrong. They had to have a start in Jerusalem amongst the people who had the advantage of knowing about Jesus, but who were sidetracked by their traditions and then clashed with him when his ways and their traditions didn't come together. Now, my friends, all of us, if we are churchy, we'd have picked stuff up from our different churches that we've been to, the different traditions that we might have picked up in other places. 
And that's not going to do us any favors in understanding what Jesus is really like. We've got to get back to the law of Moses and the prophets and the Psalms and to see how Jesus is central in new ways. And if you're a believer, then we need to understand how we've got it wrong and need to repent. But we need to understand where that repentance leads. We've got to keep verse 46 and verse 47 joined up together. And to understand that the person who understands that Jesus has died and come back to life is the person who wants to go out into the world. If you don't want to go out into the world, frankly, the death and resurrection of Jesus is not the biggest thing for you. But if you want to be part of his future, then we need to keep verses 46 and 47 together to bring that future into the experience of other people. That's why we want everybody in our church to be involved in going out to our estate. Because the preaching of forgiveness of sins and repentance shows that we have understood the gospel. It shows that we understand what they need to know about the gospel on our estate. That they've got Jesus wrong and need to get a different view of him than they have. But it also shows the watching world that Jesus is alive today because that is the evidence that Jesus is alive. When power from on high results in the forgiveness of sins preached in his name, that's when the world knows that Jesus is very much alive today and his power is at work in the world that he's made. Let's pray that God will help us to do that uh, and to do that uh, as uh, fully as we can to everyone that we know. Let's pray together. Uh, Father in heaven, we thank you that Jesus came to keep the law of Moses for us to take our punishment for us and to be the greatest object of our worship and our joy. Please help us to be humble in our response to him, to grow in our understanding of him and please empower us to preach new life to those who we love, to those on our estate. And we pray this in his name. Amen. Amen.